This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Well, hello and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, and today I'm joined by John McDonald, who is the founder of The Good, a conversion rate optimization firm that has achieved results for some of the largest online brands, including Adobe, Nike, Xerox, The Economist, and more. Author of two books on conversion optimization, John regularly contributes content to publications like Entrepreneur and Inc., he knows how to get website visitors to take action. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks for having me. So your latest book is called Opting In to Optimization, How Successful E-Commerce Brands Convert More Customers, Increase Profits, and Create Raving Fans. And before we jump into this, actually, I just want to mention how we met. It was actually, we're both members of Entrepreneurs Organization, and we were doing, we both attended a three-day course at Harvard called Entrepreneurial Strategy. And you mentioned that you had published this book, and I was like, hey, I'm in the same industry as you, and let's get you onto the podcast for a chat. So I'm really, I'm really glad there was that fate brought us together in that way. Yeah, it's such a small world sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the book came out recently. It was like like while we were at the course, right? Yeah. Talk about being overwhelmed and a little bit stressed out. We had we were doing, you know, Harvard Business School, all these case studies that we had to read was like four hundred pages of case studies and and trying to do all of that and launch a book at the same time was not not necessarily a smart move. But I will <laughs> say that it's it's how the timing worked out, and I had a lot of factors at play, the publisher and everything else with the timing. So, but it did work out. It turned out to be a number one bestseller on Amazon in three different categories, and I felt like it was a pretty successful launch. So, it's pretty excited about how it turned out in the end. That's awesome. You must have been very well organized with that launch plan. <laughs> I'll thank the team. How's that? Okay. <laughs> I, I so, did not have much time while I was there. So why did you decide to write this book? Well, this is actually my second book. And the first book was much more around tactics, how to optimize your site, things that you should be doing. And that was about seven years ago I wrote that book. And this book, I really noticed there's a hole, there was a gap in in the market of you know, optimization and e-commerce more generally, learning around how you should be thinking. There are so many books about, hey, do this, do that, follow these best practices, here's all the checklists, but very, very few books about how you should be thinking, what the mindset needs to be to be successful in e-commerce. And so that was really the genesis of this book was what are the, almost the laws that you need to be thinking about in order to be successful. And it's a mindset shift that I think I've noticed across a lot of the successful brands we work with. And some of the ones who aren't as successful don't deploy or have these same mindsets. So yeah, the book, like you said, it covers nine laws of optimization. Which of those laws are the most counterintuitive for brands? Well, I think that there's a, a 
couple in here that really stand out to me. The first is that you can't read the label from inside the jar. And I say this quite often because so many e-commerce brands, the first thing they do is they go to their website and they look at for ways to optimize their site. The problem with this is that they are so close to their site. They're so close to their products. They know how to navigate. They know the descriptions of their products that they make a very poor use case for understanding what a new-to-file customer's experience needs to be like. And so, you know, really what we encourage customers to do, our customers to do, and any e-commerce site or Amazon merchant for that matter, is to get outside parties to evaluate your site. Not talking to you about professionals. I'm talking about going to your local coffee shop with a laptop and asking somebody to find the right t-shirt for them on your site and say, hey, you know, I'll buy your coffee. Can you sit down and, and just talk out loud about what you're thinking as you go through this? And what you're going to find is that they're going to tell you what their objections are, what they wish was happening on your site, what all of the challenges they're encountering or decision points they're having to make. And these are things that are really eye-opening. Surprisingly, most brands aren't doing this. And that's really where you know there's a couple of those type of mindsets that need to shift. And the second is, is that competition is a distraction. So many brands that we talk to have functionality on their site or they have content on their site. And we ask them, well, where, what was the genesis of this? Where did this come from? And they almost always say it came from their competition. Oh, we saw others doing it. And we thought we might as well deploy it. And, you know, there's a reason that racehorses wear blinders. You start looking around, you're going to veer off course. You need to focus on what's right for you and your visitors and take those actions instead of worrying about what your competition is doing. And, you know, it becomes a big issue because you don't know if the competition is testing something and you got opted into their A-B test. You don't know if, you know, what their marketing budgets are like exactly. I hear about brands, you know, trying to copy Nike all the time. And I say, well, Nike is a billion dollar corporation who's got more money that they're putting into marketing than you have in your entire revenue. Yeah. So why, why are you trying to compete in the same way? What works for them is not going to work for you. You can't go get LeBron James as your star athlete, right? It's just not going to happen. And they have different objectives as as well, potentially, like a lot of D2C sites for really large brands. It's not about necessarily running a profitable D2C site. It's about capturing data, customer data, <laughs> like snacks.com, the D2C side of was Frito-Lay. Frito-Lay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's impossible on a $15 box of snacks that that is remotely profitable. It's completely a data play. So if you're, and if you're trying to run a profitable D2C channel and you're kind of benchmarking yourself against that kind of situation, then yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely not a recipe for success. Yeah, without question. And I think this is, this is something where, you know, again, it's all about the mindset that these brands have. And when they come in and start working with us at the good, they have an you know a expectation that we're going to do things like you know change button colors or we're going to do things like add discounts to their site and none of that is optimization 
really optimization starts with understanding the customer experience and working to improve that. The reality is visitors to your site and you as a brand both want the same thing. You want to convert that person as quickly and easily as possible. And you both want to get back on with your lives. And, and you know, in your case, converting the next customer. In their case, they have other things they're, they're worried about in their lives. And so helping the consumer to do their research and then convert as quickly and easily po- as possible is, you know, should be a goal for both sides of the equation. Definitely. So one thing that you talk about in the book, again, this is sort of a mindset shift for some, is that there's no one good conversion rate. Why is that? Well, I think that most brands who come to us say, hey, John, you know, we're we're converting at 1% and we really, you know, all of the competition I'm seeing out there is converting at 2%. And I always ask, well, where did you hear about that number? And they say, oh, some site or, you know, Shopify's panel told me that my industry is converting at X. And so I feel like I'm really below that. And the challenge is that if you try to just match your competitors or what is supposedly the industry average, and and we happen to see hundreds of sites a year, and I can promise you those industry averages are rarely accurate, that the reality is that you're going to be you know, aiming for something that is either A, unattainable, or B, taking your eye off the short term. Now, I get asked every day, what's a good conversion rate? And the reality is it's one that's always improving. All you really want to focus on is incremental improvements day over day, week over week, month over month, year over year. And if you focus on each day, making your website just 1% better, I'm not talking increasing your conversion rate 1%. I'm just saying make your entire website experience just 1% better a day. By the end of a year, you have some immaculate, like some really, really large compounding growth. And that's what you should be focusing on as a brand is I'm just going to make my site better every single day and watch that conversion rate compound and that growth compound. And then don't worry about hitting 2% or whatever you think that the industry average is for you. Worry about improving your own site for your own site's consumers and you will be much better off. Yeah. Amen. That's some correlating experience with what we see with, with Amazon is that there's very legible metrics like advertising cost of sales on Amazon. That's one that's front and center in the dashboard and it's quite you know, looking, it's again, quite easy to benchmark and compare advertising cost of sales, but it's a very, very blunt instrument, really, just because they're highly visible and easy to measure doesn't mean that they're the right ones. And one brand's advertising cost of sales is going to be completely irrelevant to another that has a different objective around market share growth versus profitability, for example, or different stages of product maturity and things like that. So definitely can see some correlation there for the Amazon marketplace. What advice do you have for listeners who are trying to make a case to their executive team about selecting more strategic, though possibly less legible metrics? Well, I think the 
First thing is, you, you brought up a really good point there, that things like return on ad spend, I mean, there's tons of metrics you should be looking at, but there's no one metric in a vacuum that, you know, every metric needs to be looked at holistically with what's going on around them. So when we work with brands, you know, we're in an industry, unfortunately, called conversion rate optimization. So of course, you know, most brands come to us when they have a conversion issue, but we almost always find the issue that's leading to that conversion rate is something that can be tracked by a different metric. So perhaps it's something like cart abandonment or it is average order value or it's really just that funnel. How do we get people from step one into step two to step three and what's the drop off at each of those? So we look at, at things that are more indicative of the customer experience. Where are people dropping off in the funnel? What pages? How long are people taking to convert? Right. A lot of brands think that metrics like, you know, time on site are indicative of a good experience. When the reality is if that number gets too high, it's actually a horrible experience for consumers because nobody's at your website to hang out. Right. They're at your website to do that research and then purchase. And so if they can't do that research and, and purchase in a timely fashion, they get frustrated and they leave. And so I think that the reality here is that if you're trying to make a case to your executive leader, you need to come in with more than one metric. And you need to say, these are metrics that we're going to look at improving. Here are the baselines. And we want to look at that trend line going up. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. There's no hack or trick that can really double those metrics in one swoop. So just because you can install that Shopify app on your site doesn't mean that it's gonna gonna work. I mean, if you really want to double your conversion rate overnight, just discount all your products to nothing, and, and your your conversion rate will skyrocket. <laughs> but it's not sustainable, yeah. right? Right. And so that's how you really need to be thinking about you know optimization. Is it's it's a basket of metrics that you're going to be looking at improving, and those all work in conjunction, and it's not one single metric. And you really need to be looking at what's sustainable and looking for that sustainable growth. Although your focus is on a brand's own website, I found reading through the the book is that a lot of the advice also extends to optimizing an Amazon channel. And I want to call out one example, which I thought was particularly true in an Amazon context, which is around product descriptions. And you say, when marketers write product descriptions, they often sell the lifestyle or overall brand vision of the company, but not how the particular product meets the visitor's individual needs. Think of our iconic logo hat in blue, which is self-serving versus our closer fitting trucker hat has an organic cotton front, polyester mesh back back, and an adjustable snap closure, which targets an eco-conscious sporty customer with a few compelling reasons to buy. So I thought that was a really good example of how to think, like you said, mindset around don't make it about us as the brand, make it about the what the customer is looking for. What other examples of optimization can be applied across any retail channel? Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear you say that being an Amazon expert as, as you are, because, you know, I think there's a lot of optimization that has yet to been done on Amazon. Everyone thinks Amazon has this awesome customer experience and all they've done is really made that customer experience really simple. 
which is great and is one metric you want to look at. But I do like that there are plenty of optimization opportunities on Amazon. Now, what else could be applied there? I think that discounting is something I see happen, especially on Amazon, quite a bit. Everyone wants to fight on price on Amazon. I'm a huge believer that discounting isn't optimization. It is margin drain. It's a game that is really hard to win, especially if you have a little more of a commodity market, because what's going to happen is it's just going to be a race to the bottom. I mean, I'm sure we both know of several apps that will do dynamic pricing on Amazon for you and just check your competitors and lower your price. And where's the floor when you start doing that? And really what you're doing is cheapening your brand to some degree. So what we really recommend here, and this applies to -to direct-to-consumer brands and retail and Amazon, is really think about ways to do an offer or a promotion that is not a dollar or a percentage off. If once you start having a discount of a dollar or percentage off, you are starting to lose the battle and it's a very unsustainable battle. Instead, change your mindset around what can you add in terms of value without subtracting. So what do I mean by that? Well, you could do free gift with purchase. You could do buy one, get one. You could do bundling, right? Where it's a steep discount if you bundle the product plus some accessories. You see that happen quite often on Amazon. And a lot of that, I mean, I think maybe you you would know more than I hear, but a lot of, it seems to me when I'm shopping on Amazon, a lot of people do bundles as a way to separate themselves from, you know, the product just itself that someone else is selling at a commodity price. So there are ways around this. In fact, we have an article up on thegood.com that's, I think it's 89 ways you can do a offer or promotion that is not a discount. So if you get a little more creative and just don't hit that easy button as a brand, you can really drive some additional value, separate yourself from the pack and not have to play the discount game. Nice. Nice. That's great. Yeah. We'll look for that blog post that you've got, that resource and link up to it in the show notes because that's a really great tip there. We're doing some research at Bobsled, which will be coming out in January around what Amazon maturity looks like. And we've landed on a framework that accounts for two factors in considering maturity. And one is engagement of the internal team around Amazon, particularly having executive buy-in, and then the overall investment in growth capacity and executing on those growth opportunities. So I was curious to see if you see a similar pattern playing out with brands with their D2C channel around maturity and how you would describe a mature thinking around in your world. Yeah, I think that a lot of brands immediately go to the quick fixes and they realize the more mature you get, the more you realize that there is no quick fix. And I think that, you know, we talked about discounting just now. That's a quick fix. You know, we talk about doing things like putting trust badges all over your site because you think that's going to get people to convert higher. Or you install that latest app that's number one on Shopify App Store because you feel like, you know, everyone else is doing it. So I must do it too. But 
again, I think that it's really in order to be sustainable here that you really need to be thinking about the customer experience and that more mature brands that we work with really have already figured that out and turned that corner. And it's a mindset change. And that's going back to this to the book, to opting into optimization. I would say that if you have these nine laws and you're following these mindsets, that that would be my definition of e-commerce maturity. And it doesn't matter if you're on Amazon, if you're a direct-to-consumer brand. I think that really all of these can apply, but you need to get past things like, you know, the first law that I have in the book is best practices are for beginners. Because so many brands start with best practices when, and then they continue doing that well beyond when they should. And so that kind of has a self-fulfilling limitation put in place, right? Because you're stuck doing these best practices that the rest of the herd is doing to the point where you're never going to break out of the herd. And so you need to stop doing all of what these so-called best practices. At some point, they become less helpful. And so when you start thinking about what maturity looks like, I specifically ordered these laws in in the chapters in the book in a specific way around kind of a a ladder of of maturity. I think that's a really great way to to put it. Hmm. Excellent. So I've got a couple of rapid fire questions for you. What's something that you've changed your mind about? Well, not related to e-commerce, but I'm six foot seven. I know it's hard to see on a podcast. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) I've played basketball my entire life, played in college, et cetera. And I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and I was a huge LeBron James fan. I mentioned him earlier. And I now live in Portland, Oregon. And our travel are the Los Angeles Lakers, where LeBron is playing now. So I've changed my mind on being a fan of LeBron James. Wow. (laughs) All right. Was not expecting that. (laughs) (laughs) What are you excited about right now? I'm really excited that, you know, as... Facebook has kind of pulled the plug from, or I should say Apple actually pulled the plug, right? But a lot of direct-to-consumer e-commerce brands, the past six months have been outright hell for them. They you know, had a bunch of issues with Facebook no longer being able to target as well. And their return on ad spend dipping dramatically and their customer acquisition costs going up dramatically. But what this has done, and I'm really excited, is that it's brought the focus back to the customer experience on the site as a key way to differentiate themselves. No longer could you just continue to advertise at somebody left and right and just hit them over the head with ads so they show up at your site and buy something. Now you're lucky if you get somebody to your site because they saw an ad and it's within your target market. So once you get them there, you really need to focus on that customer experience and make sure that you're not giving them a reason to leave. And I'm excited that that day, that reckoning, if you will, has finally come where you can't just drive a million people to your site overnight and not care if 99.9% of them don't convert because you'll still make your revenue. Now you really need to be paying attention to getting as much as you can out of that ad spend. So tell us more about the work that you do at The Good and where people can buy your book. Yeah, so the good, we are a conversion optimization firm as we've been talking about. And you know, we help brands to convert more of their existing website traffic 
from visitors into customers. Now, we don't do anything with driving traffic. We're really, really focused on our niche of, of helping the on-site experience be improved and you know, doing that through data science. And if you enjoyed what you heard today and you're interested in all of the laws that written about in opting into optimization, if you go to thegood.com slash book, we have it for sale up there. It's also for sale in all of the places that it would normally be, Amazon. We have an audiobook coming out next week version where you get to hear me rap a line from the Broadway play Hamilton. Wow, that's a good book. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not suggesting it's going to be great, but it's there. So you can find it and enjoy that piece. That's great. Thank you so much for joining me, John. Yeah, thank you. Have a wonderful afternoon.